Today, we have another Adventure Rider Radio exclusive gearing up segment, which are all about discovering great gear, ideas, and hacks that make the difference between calling it quits or continuing on your ride. And today, we're going to be talking about essential gear and skills, all that coming up. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Brian Field. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. Cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. There's a huge adventure motorcycle event happening this year called the Get On ADV Fest, brought to you by Revzilla. It takes place in the Black Hills of South Dakota this July 15 to 18. Get your tickets at revzilla.com slash ADV hyphen fest. Revzilla.com slash ADV hyphen fest. Feeling confident when you ride off the beaten track or sort of away from easy help has everything to do with two things the way I see it. What skills you possess and then what gear you're carrying to back up those skills. But deciding just what skills you should learn and what pieces of gear you should carry kind of comes down to experience. And experience is, well, learning from what went wrong in the past. It's been said that experience is a cruel teacher because it gives you the test first before presenting the lesson. So in line with the thought process of Clinton Smout, who always says, let your friends go first, well, we have a friend, Sean Thomas. And Sean's ridden all over the world, taken loads of courses, made all kinds of mistakes, some of which he tells us about, and he survived them all, coming out on top as a top-level rider, trainer, and guide. He's certified in a bunch of high-end courses like the BMW Certified Instructor Course. So we're going to cash in, so to speak, today and learn from Sean's experience, read Pain and Suffering, and learn some essential gear that, that Sean rides with, and as well as some skills, and a whole bunch more. So I'm Sean Thomas. Um, I am the brand ambassador for BMW, uh, mostly for the GS, but pretty much for any product that they make. Um, I live in Monterey Bay, California, uh, very close to the coast and uh, I'm very happy to be here with you today. Hi, Sean. Great to have you back on the show. Uh, you're, you're taking this this big trip. I sort of want to start with that. Can, can we talk about that? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, when, when everything shut down, uh, due to COVID, I, I was just finishing up basically 10 months on the road and I was sick to death of traveling. And I was seriously considering finding another career that didn't require travel because I just, I'd had enough and, and then everything shut down and I suddenly got this sort of impromptu year off. And, um, and, and I've thought long and hard about, you know, things are starting to open up and, and I need to get back on the road and how can I do it in a way that makes me comfortable with travel. And, and I, I identified the two main things that I'm just sick to death of. And the first is airports. Um, and the second is hotels. 
Um, I just, I've had so much of those. I, I don't want them anymore. And, and I would be fine with it if I could fly like business class and stay in nice hotels, but I can't, I, I'm not, I haven't achieved that level of success. You know, I'm still flying on a uh, budget, you know, and, and staying in cheap hotels and, and I'm just, I'm over it. So I decided to, to make for me, it was a very big plunge investment and buy an RV. So I bought this class C RV, um, with, with a bed and, you know, a bathroom and a place to cook and, and I'm going to try traveling with that so that I can avoid airports and hotels. So I've, I've uh, just announced I'm going to do a U.S. tour. I leave in June. I won't get back until October. And I'm going to travel um, just doing dealer events and, and uh, shaking hand, as many hands as I can and teaching off-road technique and on-road technique and, and helping people understand riding gear and all that stuff. So off I go here pretty soon. And I assume that you, you've got a motorcycle on this? So I've got a, um, I'm hauling a trailer um, with me and I'll have, um, maybe as many as four bikes. I'm between you and me and, and, uh, and your listeners, I am working on trying to um, bring with me bikes that people can ride. Um, so that um, when I go to events, um, they can, you know, if, if I'm riding an off-road clinic, for example, and somebody's wants to try a bike that they've never ridden that I can, um, loan it out to them for a spell and let them play on it a bit, but that's not confirmed yet. Uh, but one way or another, I'll have at least one bike with me <laughs> in, my, in my trailer and I'll show up and get to go ride around in circles and have fun. So what's the tour about? Is this, is this a BMW tour or is this you going and teaching riding lessons? So, you know, my title is brand ambassador. You know, I'm, I'm a self-employed, you know, I'm a contractor with BMW and I don't get any money you know, they don't send me a paycheck to be brand ambassador. It's a, it's a title and I can use that title, um, to, uh, do dealer events and, uh, BMW helps dealers pay for my presence. So, um, what I do is I call dealers up and say, you know, Hey, I'd, you know, I'd like to come and see you. And, and if you'd like, and you know, my cost is largely covered by BMW and I can do any one number of events. And here's a few of them. And, if they hire me and, and right now dealers are scrambling to hire anybody because things are opening up and people want to go do something. So that's what I'm out there doing is offering experiences. And sometimes those experiences are just, you know, um, standing up and presenting and telling stories, which is, you know, people enjoy and I enjoy it's fun. And sometimes it's, you know, teaching people how to ride or leading a ride or going to a rally and speaking or just, you know, hanging out and having a good time. You know, that's, I've told you before, it's kind of a silly job and but I love it and I love the people. So it's going to be really good to get out and see everybody. You're yeah. I guess it's more like being self-employed really. I mean, you've got some tools yeah. there to work with, but it's up to you to get out there and hustle. Which, Jesus, yeah. there seems like they're getting the better end of the deal. <laughs> yeah. I know they're going to listen to this and, and I hope they're paying attention. <laughs> okay. You've got to double Sean's pay. No, you don't, you know, don't, sorry. You've got to add some to it first before you double it <laughs> because double nothing is nothing, right? We can't do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's talk this one out before we make yeah, our demands. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if I'm a dealer and I want to get you to stop like on this tour that you're doing, what do I do? So it's as simple as giving me a call. You know, the um, you know, the way dealers tend to find me is, you know, they go to my website, stromoto.com or, or they, um, you know, my numbers pretty easy to find. And as you know, I have a pretty big social media presence. So typically what's happening and what's happening right now is, you know, I've, I've announced publicly that I'm going on this tour and I've asked people if they'd like me to stop by their dealer, let me know who they are and please let them know who I am if they don't know. And so that when I call, they don't go, who's this guy? And, 
and that's worked really well. Um, in fact, uh, today um, is the day that I, I solidify, you know, what may be 25 events around the country. If, if all the dealers that have shown interest come through, we'll see. Oh, wow. That's, that's great. You're talking about like, so for the average rider. So if I, if I happen to want you to come by my town, I get hold of my dealer and then I get a hold of you as well and try and put the thing together or at least let, yeah, let you exactly. guys know and, that and, we're interested. Yeah. Um, that's the, that's the ideal way is yeah. to, um, to do it through the dealer. Cause the dealers the, gets a lot of incentives to have me, um, come and visit. And, and so if, the, if I go through them as a proxy, it works for them and it works for me and it works for you. So, um, but you know, there's also instances where, you know, I'm going to some rallies, for example, this year that have nothing to do with dealers. You know, the, um, the MOA rally, for example, um, this is sort of my kickoff and, uh, and the RA rally. And there's talk about the GS giants rally and that sort of thing. I can imagine it would be an asset for any dealer. Anyone who follows you on social media or knows you a little bit or, or hears you on the, on the show here um, would realize what an asset that would be. That, um, that's great. Oh, I, I wish you all the best. And I'm sure we'll be talking as you're doing that. I think that's very cool. I'm, I'm quite jealous, to be honest with you, because I'm just going to be <laughs> staying home for the summertime. So, <laughs> Well, there are four beds in my RV. So uh, oh, <laughs> come take one and, and tour with me for a while. <laughs> yeah, now, you, now you get the wheels turning. <laughs> well, <laughs> Perfect. So, so to the task at hand, the reason we're here today... Um, adventure motorcycle gear that you should pack. Sorry, essential motorcycle gear uh, that you should pack for every adventure. Now, of course, you have a, a tremendous amount of experience, um, not only as riding, but also as an instructor where you have much more, um, uh, there's much more emphasis on, on what you do and the decisions you make as an instructor. And, and I think that's really where a lot of your expertise will come from mm -hmm. for this. When we talk about motorcycle gear, it, it's like, it's a list that quickly can get, get away with us, can it? You know, you, you end up Boy, packing. Isn't that the truth? Oh, you, you end up packing so much. You, you can do so many things. And, and really it's not even, even an experienced rider does this. I mean, I, I do this and I'm an experienced outdoorsman. Uh, I have been my entire life. I've, I've been packing for all different kinds of adventures. And every time I do it, it seems like it's, I, I always look at it and think, okay, it's too much. You must find the same. Yeah. And this is especially true leading tours because oftentimes I'll have multiple motorcycles from multiple manufacturers and model years and what have you. And I have to carry tools for everything because the people coming with me don't bring anything. You know, they mm. show up with riding gear and, and sometimes they don't even own the bike. And so, you know, I have to be just as able to pull a, a wheel and tire off of a Suzuki as a BMW, as a Ducati, as what have you. And, and so, you know, it's not uncommon for me to have, you know, a carry on luggage that's nothing but tools that I have to find a way to cram onto my bike just in case. And that's, uh, it's taught me a lot, <laughs> mostly through dismal failure. So, what so I you not carry. only have to pull the rabbit out of the hat, you have to be prepared to pull the chicken out, which means you have to take both of them with you. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, of course, most of the time you don't need it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but when you do and you have it, you know, then you're the hero and, and, you know, the, the, usually you get free drinks that night. <laughs> <laughs> it saves the day. <laughs> well, well, for this, what we're assuming is we, we have some assumptions here and what we're assuming is that the protective gear is a given that you've, you've got your protective gear, your helmet, your jacket, your pants, boots, all, all those type of things. That's a given. We have other episodes that have information like that. If you go to the search bar on our website, for instance, and type that in, you'll come up with other things. Um, we're, we're talking about the other essential things. And um, I guess where we should start with this is what kind of things should we pre be prepared to do for ourselves? Uh, I think that's a really good question in that, you know, it's not uncommon for us to have tools that we need to deal with whatever comes along. But, you know, some of these tools are complicated and ornate and, and you 
not most people don't necessarily know how to use that stuff. I've found, you know, I found when, for example, if you get a flat tire and you have a tubed tire, you know, how do you take the wheel off the bike and how do you use the tools necessary to do it? And oftentimes, and I've personally experienced this where, you know, I'm pulling out you know tools for the first time. I've never even taken them out of the bag before. And I'm roadside somewhere in the heat trying to deal with the issue. And, and uh, so, you know, what you carry um, also has to coincide with, with knowing how to use what you carry. And that, those are complicated questions and it takes a lifetime to learn. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's going to limit what you do with it, really, with your ride, um, your skills. I mean, they have to have a direct bearing on, on where you go and what you're doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many times have we seen somebody sitting on the side of the road in their BMW waiting for the tire repair guy to come along? You know, and we think to ourselves like, well, I could have fixed that. Like, that's not, it's not a big deal. There's a spare in the trunk. You put it on and off you go. But, you know, that's a learned skill. And it's something that, you know, we were taught or had to learn. And the same thing happens with bikes, you know, when people get a, you know, they run out of gas on the side of the highway. And, um, I come along and say, you know, let me give you a hand. Can I tow you to the, um, to the nearest gas station? And I go, well, I don't, you know, I don't know how to do that. I, I don't know how to, how do you tow a bike? Mm-hmm. And I, it, to me, it's just, I just take it for granted. You know, it's just something that I learned how to do a long time ago. And, and so having the tools and knowing how to use them, you know, the it's both are equally important. So things that happen while you're, while you're on the trailer road, categories wise, th- this is, this is how I see it. I, I see it like, these are the categories I, I would come up with. Bro- your bike is broken, but fixable. Maybe your mm-hmm. bike is broken, but unfixable. And mm-hmm. then when it comes to injuries. You have a minor injury or trauma, but you're rideable or an mm-hmm. injury or trauma that is unrideable. And then the other one that I would throw in there is lost. If you're actually lost in the wilderness, that's an, another situation that's not really yeah. the focus of what we're talking about here. But do you see any other categories that I've missed with that? No, I think you nailed it. I, I think that the only other thing I would add to that, and it kind of fits, is just most of the time when I'm dealing with an issue, it's somebody else's issue. It's, you know, me coming upon somebody that has fallen into one of those categories and, and I'm taking it upon myself to help them deal with it rather than deal with my own thing. And that does add an extra level of complication because, you know, who knows what they're writing or what they're doing and, you know, and what their skill level is and what have you. Mm. Well, it's also less stressful, isn't it? When you're dealing with someone else, you know, mm. someone else broken down on the side of the road feels a lot different than you being broken down on the side of the road. <laughs> it's true. That's <laughs> it's, it's a kind of a terrible thought, but you, you know, it's funny because you, you mentioned about, um, you know, people not understanding how to use their tools, you know, they get a flat tire and, and they may not understand how to, how to change their tire or repair their tire. The interesting thing is, is, is part of the reason of this is because or for this is that w- everything is so reliable nowadays. I mean, if you rode mm. back in the sixties, the you would have done a lot more repairs on the side of the road. And because of that, you'd, you'd be forced to learn those skills. Whereas now it's almost an, an anomaly someone gets a flat tire and they look and they go, Ooh, wow. I haven't dealt with that before. I've ridden for four years. <laughs> you know, it's anytime, you know, a new bike comes out, especially a bike with new technology, you know, there's always that resounding voice in the background saying, I like the older bikes that you can work on. Mm. And my thought is always like, yeah, and you have to, because, <laughs> because the older bikes, they need to be worked on all the time. And these don't it's so much, you know? So yeah, you can't in some ways, but you don't have to in other ways. So a bike broken, but fixable, bike broken, but unfixable, minor injury, but rideable injury that is unrideable, lost in the wilderness. And as you mentioned, someone, uh, either it's yourself or someone else. So let's get back to those categories. But um, first I thought what we should talk about is pre-trip, the things that we can do to sort of uh, help ourselves before mm. you swing a leg over the bike. 
Yeah, that's really important. And, uh, you know, one of the big mistakes I find that I make, and I'm sure other people make, is they look out their window before a trip and they sort of mentally prepare for the weather that they see in that moment. <laughs> and that is so often not the case when you get out and moving. And this is even worse in California because climate changes here are so mild, you know, where other parts of the world, you know, can be a beautiful sunny day one minute and then pouring on you the next. And, you know, knowing to look and where to look and how to figure out how to prepare, even just for the weather is, is a big player. Right. Well, and, and how about something like, you know, often we go off on these things, it's many times, at least for me, it's a whim. And I always let someone know when I'm going, where I'm going. And I think it's probably fairly important for everybody, isn't it? I think it is. And it's another thing that's often forgotten, you know, is, is the, uh, the idea of, you know, and they say this when you, um, have a satellite communicator, um, that you, the first thing they'll do if you ever hit the SOS button is call your primary people on your list and ask if they are aware of you going anywhere. Like, do you know if this person's on a trip? Could they possibly be in this location at this time? You know, sort of thing. And, and so it's sort of a given in, you know, from emergency standpoint that, that people are made known, you know, the people close to you are made known ahead of time what you're going to do. Mm. Yeah. Not, not to say that I do it <laughs> near as often as I should, but that's a good idea. Well, going out the door, don't you usually say to your wife, you know, um, uh, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I do. Um, I, I'm not sure she's paying much attention. You know, I'm not a horse. And so I'm not that interesting to her these days. <laughs> when you laugh there, I knew there was something more to it. <laughs> you said, well, yeah, there's, there's a caveat there. Well, and the other thing you gotta is- You got to know my wife. I mean, like, I mean, I ride motorcycles for a living. She just goes, all right, whatever, you know, off you go. Deal with it. <laughs> well, you mentioned going around in your RV on this tour that you're going to do. And that made me think of, if you go for a ride while you're on that tour, is anyone really going to know that you're on that ride? Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, and, uh, and it's something I have to contend with. Although to be fair, I don't tend to ride so much on my own anymore. You know, usually wherever I go, I'll, I can, somebody's there that knows the fun place to ride to and they, you know, say, Hey, let me take you out and mm -hmm. we'll go play, you know? All right. So, um, you know, there's going to be a few exceptions. I mean, you know, everybody's got to ride the, uh, tail of the dragon when they're in the area, for example. And, uh, you don't need anybody for that. And, but that's an intense ride. And, and, uh, it's something that you should make sure people know that you're doing firsthand because, you know, beforehand, cause it's, it's one of those places where accidents can happen. You mentioned considering the weather, um, which is, yeah, that, that's huge, um, route, uh, and your, and the terrain you're covering too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, certainly weather dependent, um, you know, that plays a big part in that because, you know, places that you could, you can ride somewhere in the morning, it can be impossible to ride on a bike. And that same road in late afternoon can be very easy to ride just because of the way the weather changes. And so, you know, understanding where you're going to be and when, of course, is really, really important. Mm -hmm. You, you mentioned um, whether you're, it's you that's broken down or someone else. And many people like to ride with a partner. It's the smart way to ride. There's no doubt in any sort of activity. I mean, you, you find this no matter, no matter what activity you're into. It's always recommended you go with somebody else. And I think that's pretty obvious for anyone that's listening to this. There's mm -hmm. some things that change, though, when you, when you ride with someone. Not only do you, do, you, do you take on a little bit of um, security, I guess, but you also take on a little bit of liability, as you said, you know, if, if they broke down. Um, but um, some people like to share tools and things. How do you feel about that? 
man, that's, I mean, obviously the good part about that is, you know, weight savings and, and space savings, you know, if you can each carry something, but you know, the obvious issue with that is the second the person breaks free and, and heads out on their own, then you lose whatever it is that they were carrying on your behalf. And sometimes that's okay. It could be that you're carrying things that were only uh, necessary on a certain section. You know, I, I took my, my older brother with me on a, a tour over Mangle Pass going up into Death Valley. It's a pretty intense ride. And I had my daughter on the back and I asked him, Hey, can you come along with us? Because I'd just like to have another adult there as I take her over this, you know, pretty intense pass and make sure that there's any, if there's any issues that um, I've got someone else there that can help me deal with them. And, and, and he very willingly went and hopped on his adventure bike with no knobbies and, and said, let's do this. And, and, you know, he must've crashed 17 times making his way up the pass, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the tools that I had suggested he needed that he didn't think he would that ended up being really, really important, you know, all the way. So, you know, now I'm sort of babysitting on the way up and, and, you know, he made it through and he had a good time, but he's also told me on no uncertain terms that I'm not allowed to dictate the route from now on. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your security there turned into a liability. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I spent, you know, more time off my bike because I was lifting up his bike than I spent, you know, taking breaks. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about, um, what about when it comes to survival? Because survival is all about, it's all about waiting to be rescued, isn't it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the, certainly backcountry riding, you know, the number one thing you lose that everybody relies on is cell service. and so, you know, the inability to pick up your phone when you have an issue and simply call and say, hey, can you come provide me with supplies or can you come get me or what have you is when that's taken away, you know, it's it's uh, gets a little challenging, and especially when you're leading a motorcycle tour. You cannot believe the capacity of a person to completely lose their minds when they think that there's trouble <laughs> and having to, you know, sort of calm that situation down and go that. So, you know, I was uh, riding with a group in, in Argentina and we were actually following the Dakar race. And we took a, basically what I thought was a shortcut and we rode the shortcut for several miles. I mean, we went a long way. Um, and we came to the main road we were going to connect with and there had been a flood the night before and it washed out the road and the floodwaters were really deep. And I couldn't, uh, couldn't take every, I didn't tell them at the time, but we didn't have enough gas to get back to, get, to, to, you know, double back. And we were running out of time anyway. So my solution was to try to find a spot in the river that I could take everybody through. And so I started sort of looking for spots to wade through. And when I did, I slipped and I fell in the water and I took out my cell phone, which I, I had cell service at the time. Um, but the, it waterlogged my phone. Of course it didn't work anymore. So now I had only my satellite communicator and the only way to use the sat communicator of the way I needed to was to type with my phone into the satcom and send off for help. Mm. And I couldn't do that anymore because I didn't have a cell phone anymore connected to it. So, you know, I'm standing there with 15 people that, you know, in, in a country that I don't speak the language and, and going, how the heck am I going to get everybody out of here? And, you know, thinking in my inventory of tools that I have available to me to try to sort it out while also sort of projecting this air of confidence and saying, Oh yeah, this happens all the time. No problem. You know, <laughs> where I was, the reality was, is I was knees and knocking, you know, <laughs> scared, scared out of my wits on what I was going to do and, uh, and kicking myself for putting myself and everybody else in that situation. 
Wow. Coming from many years of tourism, I know exactly what you're talking about and doing guide training and, and, and doing trips myself and dealing with, and we had many, many things happen uh, with wilderness trips. But I always remember this one doctor, I had a, had a bunch of doctors out and they were sort of talking about their stories and they were emergency room doctors from the, from a hospital in, in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, one of the stories the guy said, he said somebody came in with a snake bite and his arm was all swollen up and he had a tourniquet on it. And he says, um, you know, he tells the guy like, you know, that the arm's going to die basically if you don't undo this tourniquet. And the guy says, look, you can't, this is, this is a so-and-so snake. And, and once this goes, I'll be dead almost instantly. And he says, look at, he's, he's, he's very worried about the arm. He says, we're going to have to release this just a little bit. He says, it's okay. You know, I know what I'm doing sort of thing. He's, and he said, he releases it a bit and instantly he says the swelling, it was like something was living under his skin. He says, it just ripped across his body. And the guy wow. is just panic stricken. And so he, he tightens it back up and he says, okay, okay, so no, it's good. We just released a little bit. Just go. And he says, he goes out of the room and he just about dies. He says, oh my God, I've killed this guy. He's panicking, you know, but he had to go back each time, totally confident, telling you, you're going to be fine. Don't worry. You know, but he's running back to Google what the snake is and what they've got to do. <laughs> the, the importance of projecting confidence. I mean, there's no time when it's more important than when you absolutely don't have any. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. And you know, the thing is you're, you're not fooling because people might think that, Oh, well, you're conning somebody. You're not because the, the person that is in distress does not need someone who is, who's losing it and telling you all the details. Yeah, absolutely. And when, you know, when we're teaching off-road technique and somebody falls, which of course happens a lot, you know, we, we were trained and I continue to train people that work with me. Um, if as often as you can, don't, don't run toward them when they fall, because you project this, um, and chances are they're fine. And you, you project this sense of intensity that, um, may make the situation worse, you know? So, you know, make your way over there, you know, don't saunter, but try not to be in a dead run either, you know, Mm -hmm. just go up as if it's something you see every day up, no big deal. And 99 times out of a hundred, that's the right response, you know, where you just, no, it's it's all right. And everybody stays cool. And this happens all the time. And you pick up the bike and brush off your pride and off you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's, uh, let's look at the categories, shall we? Um, sure. let's, let's begin with bike broken and unfixable category. So your bike is broken. It's unfixable at this point, whatever it is. And it doesn't matter what it is because mm-hmm. it rules out your tools for the most part, but we can also throw into this category at the same time, an injury or trauma that is unrideable because both of them, I think you're going to have to deal with at least the end result in similar ways. You're going to want to get out or get rescued and, you, sure. and there's little you can do. However, with an injury, you can deal with that. So can you talk about that? Yeah. I find most of the time when you um, have a situation like that, where you're either injured to the point where you can't ride is, is one thing, but if the bike is damaged to the point where you can't ride it, you don't usually know right away. You know, it takes a little time to assess. And, and, and I have learned um, through dismal failure to, to make sure that I have a really good sense of my surroundings before I even really dig into what's going on with the bike. If it's a bike issue, because there's a chance that if I can fix it, it may be several hours of sitting there and fiddling with it. And am I, am I in a good spot? Am I in a safe spot? Am I somewhere where I can set up camp if I need to and sleep? And do I know where I am and do I know where I need to go? And I'm, you know, I've always got my hand on my satellite communicator and I'm, I'm saying, I really don't want to use this if I don't need to. Um, but, uh, but it's a possibility. And I just, I, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, I make the call when it's time to, to get a hold of somebody where on the other hand, if it's a, you know, an injury where, you know, you know, I can't ride this bike because, you know, I may be breaking my leg, for example, you know, then, then I, I will 
the first thing I would do is go straight to my satellite communicator and then try to make myself as comfortable as I could until I could get somebody there to help me out. And, and I've never had to do that personally, but I have had to use it for other people before. And that's, you know, getting somebody that can help there as soon as possible becomes really important. Mm-hmm. Is, is that what you consider your main line for getting help? Your satellite communicator? Yeah, it's the one thing that I know will pretty much work anywhere in the world with a clear view of the sky. So um, I having that with me and and where I carry, it's important too. you know, we've heard the horror stories about, you know, people that have, you know, had it mounted to their bike and they've crashed and they've ended up sort of incapacitated and they can't get to their bike to turn it on. So I've learned through lessons like that and others to keep it with me on my person, physically person, you know, so that if anything were to ever happen to me that I can pull it out and, and uh, deal with the issue. And the same goes with, you know, uh, a med kit, you know, now I've learned again through, dismal failure to always keep a, a med kit on my physical person, just a small one, you know, just enough to put white stuff on red stuff, you know, so that uh, if I have an issue and I can't get to my bike for some reason, I can deal with it. Is that all there is to the first aid kit? The white stuff goes on the red stuff? You just remember that and you're all set? <laughs> well, I think that uh, you you have to have a lot of skill to go beyond that, frankly. Yeah. You know, the, the you know, helping somebody that's broken a clavicle or you know, broken an arm or something, you know, there is a little bit that you can do out there in the field, but generally speaking, you need a pro to come in and help you. So uh, most of the time, my med kit has been just used, you know, somebody gets a cut or a burn um, or, you know, they've broken something minor that I can, you know, help to just make it more comfortable for them. And, and I, I carry a, 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 a real med kit as well, you know, a big bulky one with all kinds of goodies in it. And, and I, I learned a lesson. In fact, I was leading a tour for um, journalists. And, you know, one of the things about riding with journalists is when you put a camera on them and they start riding hard and fast to look good for the camera, the, the, the capacity to do really stupid things is really impressive. <laughs> and I had a journalist wheelie up this hill for the camera, lose control of his bike, run into my bike and send my bike careening down into a ravine with my med kit in it. So he's now on the ground injured and my bike is down at the bottom of the ravine and I've got to go down to it. And, you know, in the mess of stuff that's come flying off my bike because it got tumbled down there, find my med kit and bring it back up to him and fight the urge to take my time because I was pissed off at him for hitting it in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) So now as a consequence, I, I carry a small med kit on my hip all the time. Anytime I get on a bike, um, unless I'm absolutely certain that there's, um, there's, you know, medical assistance on hand that I can count on. I've always got it with me so I can deal with those small little issues and at least, you know, stabilize somebody as best I can before I go get the big guns. And it probably goes without saying that, um, if you're by yourself, even if you're with someone else, staying at the spot is probably your smartest move with this sort of thing, rather than traipsing off through the wilderness, taking a shortcut. Yeah. Especially if you don't know where you're going, um, you know, and, and again, that, you know, weather becomes a big factor there too. And, and, uh, if you, you know, a lot of times, most of the trails that I go on, you know, certainly in the U S I, I know where they end and I know how far it is to get to something that's, you know, resembles civilization, but, you know, in other parts of the world, you know, when, when we rode in Colombia, I, I asked my guide, I go, how come there's never a weather report on TV? I, I, I never can tell what the weather's going to be. He goes, because we get all weather all the time, every day here. Like <laughs> it's going to be hot. It's going to rain. It's going to be sunny. It's going to be wet. It's going to be cold uh, all day long throughout, you know? So in an environment like that, you know, if I have a major injury or something where the bike is, you know, broken, it's, it's not only my contending with not knowing where I'm going, but I don't know what the weather's going to do from moment to moment. And, and that's all very good reasons if I can 
to find myself a comfortable place to wait it out and in contact and have people come to me. Mm. Yeah. Because you, you know, with a, with a bike that's broken down and unfixable, it can be very tempting to say, well, you know, I can save a lot of time because I know I've been curving around to the right the whole time. It, save a lot of time if I cut across there. We just did an episode with a fellow named Jeff Keyes who did this in Australia. And, um, mm. you know, he almost died because of that, uh, cutting through yeah. the bush. It's very tempting, but um, things can be very confusing, and especially when you're under duress. There, there's um, nothing that scrambles the mind more than stress. So Spot Tracker, InReach, one of those. Yeah. Or the Zolio, which is a, the, more of a, a later version. We did, we actually had uh, we did a piece on Zolio. Are you familiar with that one? I'm not. Um, I, you know, I know Spot. I used to use them, and and then, then I went to uh, InReach, uh, which is you know now owned by Garmin, and um, it used to be Delorment, and I use InReach because of the ability to two-way communicate, where Spot doesn't allow that. You know, I can send messages out, but I can't get them back. And I don't know if they've updated that, but um, but the ability to send and receive and get confirmations. Yeah, they have. Spot now has a has a device that you hold and it's got a keyboard on it and, and you can also connect with your phone and you can go back and forth. So they are into two-way communication as well. Zolio is the same way. Zolio does um, an interesting thing with theirs is they have it set up so that you, you can use their app to text back and forth and it seamlessly switches from satellite to cellular. So if you're in mm. a cell area, you can message on, on, on the, it just mm. automatically takes the cell route, whichever is easier, I guess, the fastest, cheapest route. And then when you're remote, it automatically goes through satellite. So there's, there's some good choices out there. Nice. So you're saying spot tracker, cell phone, you've, you've sort of covered everything there as far as your ways of communicating with people. Obviously the other thing would be, you know, flag somebody down or, 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 yeah. or use somebody. I think that sort of goes without, uh, uh, without having to say too much of, you mentioned about the first aid kit. Would you recommend a first aid course for every rider? What's really interesting about first aid, I find, is is that I don't find what I learn in first aid classes in the U.S. to be particularly retainable. You know, I've I've taken many and been certified, and and I couldn't tell you like this was my one big takeaway from taking this class. But at the same time, you know, when injuries come up, um, you know, I have learned how to deal with them. And I'm sure that's thanks in no small part to taking classes like that. I did take a first aid class through Germany and those guys are hardcore, man. They get, you know, when you learn what they have to teach you, it's, it's to this day, it has really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so it's absolutely education is, is really important. And, and, uh, you know, but I think instinctually we generally, you know, can help a person that's injured or ourselves when we're injured. Um, without a lot of training, um, again, that sort of, it doesn't take a lot of talent to put uh, white stuff on red stuff. And that's generally what you can expect of yourself to be able to do. You know, I've seen more ornate things done. You know, I've seen tours where people have broken legs and they've attached, you know, splints to them. One of them did it in the form of a machete. <laughs> they attached a machete to a guy's leg to keep it straight. And then they wouldn't let him in the hospital because he had a knife attached to him. <laughs> so they had to cut it off to let him in. <laughs> Well, that's an interesting one. <laughs> but generally speaking, I think, you know, just th- the most important thing I could think of is, is just knowing how to use what's in your kit and knowing where it is. I, I had an emergency once where um, I had a major injury and I was a, a participant in the tour. I was not a guide, but the people that were in charge of helping when someone got injured were not available at that moment. And so suddenly I was thrust into going and helping this guy that was really badly injured and I didn't have a med kit. And I asked if anybody had a med kit and somebody brought one to me and it was in a different language 
Like I couldn't read any of the packaging. So I didn't know it was inside of the packages and all the packages were all the same size and shape. So I didn't know which one was gauze and which one was a pair of scissors and you know, which was a bandaid and what have you. And, and, uh, it was so immensely frustrating. And that, that, that was the moment when I said to myself, when it was all over, like from now on, no matter where I am on a bike, I'm always going to have my own med kit and I'm going to know what's inside it and how to use it. So I'm not fumbling about like an idiot in the middle of the desert, trying to help somebody. Mm, yeah. And I was going to say that same as you mentioned about the tools, knowing how to use it is, is, is key. There's no point in bringing a great big first aid kit if you don't know how to use it. You, you could say that um, maybe somebody else will know. I, I know some people say that with tools sometimes. Yeah. You know, one of the, um, when I lead tours, one of the, <laughs> the kits that I bring with me is a, uh, um, a, a rope and pulley system so that if a bike goes off the edge of a, you know, precipice or something and ends up way down a hill that I have the ability to attach to it and use pulleys to, to bring it up. And, and I'm, I'm admitting to you that I actually don't know how to use that system. Really. I don't know how to set up a pulley system, but every single time I've had to use it, there's always been this little cluster of engineers on my tour group that super know how, and they just grab it away from me and set it all up. And I just go, wow, this is really good. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just going to take those, pictures and pretend like I know what I'm doing. That's one of those examples. <laughs> the thing is the reason that they're difficult to, to deal with is because they have prusik knots and, and pulleys and things like that. And when you pull it out, it's just a bundle. And if you don't do it all the time, it's one of those things the same as many skills. If you're not practicing it all the time, it's tough to remember exactly which way you're supposed to put things. So <laughs> exactly. One of the best things with that is though, is to leave it sem- set up, semi set up. Hmm. Like, so that when you pull it out, it's kind of set halfway good to go. Yeah. You know, the, uh, rather than trying to put your prusik knots on and set the whole thing up to begin with, you just yeah. fold it up the way it is. And that way, when you open it up, it even just jogs your memory to how the whole thing works and how you're supposed to have it set up. Because with the rope and pulley system, it's not just a rope and pulley. It's also got a lock on it, which is another prusik knot. Um, and yeah, it, it, can, it can get confusing, especially again, yeah. when you're, when you're stressed, trying to figure out something in a hurry. Exactly right. And um, busting a bead on a tire, you know, the, the, the common knowledge that I see the field folks do is, is use a side stand. And I can't stand that technique because I've bent side stands doing that. And uh, so I don't use it. So what I did use is this um, very complicated kit that Best Rest product makes a bead breaker. And uh, the first time I pulled it out was the time I needed it. And there's like 17 pieces to that thing. And I go, oh my God, I don't know what I'm even looking at. Like, I don't know how to do this. And everybody's standing around, you know, toe tapping me, expecting me to show them. And I, this is a mistake. I should have set this thing out and learned how to use it ahead of time. And, you know, of course, after the fact, you know, I, I mentioned it to best rest and they said, well, you know, you really should have pulled it out ahead of time and learned how to use it. We tell you to do that. Like pretty much everywhere on the labeling, like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what might help with that. I should tell Mr. Best rest this because what might help with that is color coded ends, you know, so the yellow goes with the yellow, the red goes with the red. Yeah. I, I'm sure that there's something in him that made him do it the way he does, you know, just to mess with guys like me. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tells you, I told you so, because I know it is in the instructions. It's like one, one of the first things that I think they start off with. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, if I had bothered to read any of the instructions beforehand, you know, I just grabbed it and slapped it in my bag and went, mom, you know, I'm sure I can just take it out of my bag and nudge it with my toe and it'll explode out into all the pieces I need and the way I need it. And I can just use it. Did you get it working? <laughs> I did. And, yeah. and now it's, I love it, yeah. you know, and, and now, you know, when I teach other people how to use it, they, I, you know, they look at it and go, Oh my God, look at that mess. Like, no, it's actually, once you know how to use it, it's pretty cool. You just, you know, it just takes a little time. Yeah. Best dress has some great stuff. As a matter of fact, best dress also has a rope and pulley system. Is that the one you have? 
That's the one I have. Yeah, yeah. that's a good system. Uh, that's a good system. It's good stuff. So if you're out riding this summer without the Atlas Throttle Lock, well, you're missing out. The Atlas Throttle Lock is the result of tons and tons of research and testing and design and redesign to get it down to this super slim design that it is. It's the brainchild of David and Heidi Winters. They were frustrated with what they had for a throttle lock on their round-the-world trip. And then when they got back, they got more frustrated because they couldn't find anything that was any better. So they worked really hard to invent this Atlas throttle lock. And they did an amazing job. I think they've done for throttle locks what Elon Musk did for the electric car. Uh, really, I think it's that good. The Atlas throttle lock fits on most any bike. It's dead simple to install. It looks and feels like a Swiss watch. But more importantly, it works perfectly. It's got two buttons on it. And these two buttons, they're, they're metal. Well, the thing is with these buttons, you know how Apple spends a lot of time getting the right feel for their haptic feedback or for a button? I kind of feel like that's what the Winters have done for the Atlas Throttle Lock. Because when you push the button, it's, it's everything you expect. It's a solid, positive click, very solid and quality feeling. And um, if you need to adjust it as you're going up a hill or down a hill, you just simply adjust your throttle. You don't disengage it. It works beautifully. I have one on my bike. AtlasThrottleLock.com is their website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there. You heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. So most of us have been cooped up for the past year or so. Well, I've got some great news for you. You're going to want to slot some space out for this. Coming up in July this summer is the all-new Adventure Motorcycle Rally called the Get On ADV Fest. It's presented by RevZilla. That's all happening in the Black Hills of South Dakota at the Buffalo Chip Campgrounds. Now, this should be an incredible event. It's July 15 to 18. They've got Harley-Davidson attending, Kawasaki, Continental Tires, BMW, and a huge list more of companies that are involved with this. They're going to be there with uh, gear to sell and for you to try out and look at. Rever is curating routes for adventure motorcycling in all different levels. So it's going to be set up in different levels so you can ride these routes while you're there. There's going to be seminars, presentations, entertainment. This is set up to be a huge adventure motorcycle event, and I hope it's it's um, the first of many to come. Now, I mentioned the manufacturers being there. Well, get this. They're going to have bikes for you to test ride as well. BMW is also setting up a taste of GS Trophy. That's where you get to ride a course that's like the GS Trophy course and then get pro tips from uh, trainers. And you know, when I looked at the list of companies involved, it's staggering. I mean, really impressive and growing by the day. It has all the makings of a top tier event. And the location is absolutely fantastic. On our Raw show, we have Michelle Lampfair. Michelle Lampfair is from the Black Hills of South Dakota. She says it herself that the riding there is amazing. Matter of fact, everyone who ever mentions Black Hills, South Dakota to me says the same thing. It's a destination in itself. It's like the perfect place to put something like this on. So all kinds of things ADV happening at the first ever Get On ADV Fest presented by RevZilla. So you get your tickets at RevZilla.com slash ADV hyphen fest. So RevZilla.com slash ADV hyphen fest. Now we're going to put a link, of course, on our, our sponsor page on the website. So you can go to our website and find it as well if you can't find it or if you can't remember it. And make sure you, anytime you're dealing with them, when you go to book your tickets, if there's a way to let them know, just tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. But this thing, this is going to be amazing. I really look forward to this. The Get On ADV Fest. Have you ever noticed that when you drop your bike, the peg folds up? And then when you pick it up, it's often filled with mud and dirt. Now think about that. 
that peg just took a good amount of the abuse of dropping your motorcycle. And that's just one fall. That's why IMS products put so much into making super tough, super strong foot pegs. They're all made with certified 17-4 stainless steel. It's cast. And then they use a certified heat treating, which is a homogenizing and annealing process. But that's only after all the crucial work has been done. That's just actually building the peg. It's the research and development that went into that that makes it what it is on top of the, the super tough material. IMS has been designing products for motorcycles since 1976. Do the math. That's a long time. And all of those years of learning goes into what they make, including their foot pegs, these adventure motorcycle foot pegs I'm talking about. They've got a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs. No matter your ride style, they've got a peg that will fit your style, whether it's a, a large ADV1 and ADV2 peg, right on down to their smaller pegs with more aggressive teeth on them. And it's not about bling on your bike. I mean, they do look great. There's no doubt. Some of them are even polished, but they work far better, I think, than they look. So get the ultimate connection between you and your motorcycle. It gives you the leverage and the, and the control that you need to really get the most from your riding skills. And when you do it, you have the confidence of a super tough, well-designed foot peg designed specifically for adventure riding. And get this, they're warrantied for life. You got to be really confident in a product that you're going to put out there where people are going to beat it to warranty it for life. And on top of that, they're made in the USA. IMSproducts.com is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there. You heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Well, so that, that kind of covers off. We, we covered off the, the the bike broken and unfixable category, I think, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so let's move into bike broken but fixable. Now, I like this category the most because... Well, for a couple of reasons. One, I like a challenge. I know that when I was a kid um, or younger, much younger, I used to be into four-wheeling, you know, going, running trails, going from one spot to the next. Mm. And, you know, we'd have breakdowns. And often it was somebody else's vehicle, just like you're describing as well. Mm. And I would find myself having to do a repair and having to create some sort of way of repairing this thing, you know, like uh, yeah. uh, whatever, uh, maybe a, a broken main leaf, uh, which is one that pops to mind where I had to pull the axle back in place and then get it to hold there while we're four-wheeling. Mm. So it, it's fun. I've, I found this very challenging and very interesting to do and pulling things apart. And I, and I was, there was that huge sense of accomplishment as well. But in any case, the other thing is, is that you actually get to get out with your motorcycle. So That's I really right. like that. So this is obviously my favorite category. So um, where do you want to start with this? So, um, you know, I could go in order of importance, but I could probably also go in order of the things that I use the most. And, and what I use the most on bikes is zip ties. And when I was in watching the Dakar races in South America, I noticed that competitors had zip ties zip tied to their bikes and they would take a big bundle of them and they would set them up against running parallel to, you know, one of the structural mem members of whatever they were riding or driving. And then they would use another pair of zip ties to tie them in place. And when they needed one, they would just grab a hold of it and yank it off the, uh, you know, the superstructure of the bike and then tighten down the zip ties that were holding the rest of them in place. So they stayed there and they used them for everything. And they had all kinds of different shapes and sizes. And I just went, man, that is just such a no brainer. Like, why haven't I done that? And as soon as I started doing that, I would just blow through zip ties because you just need them for all kinds of weird little things that you don't think about. And so 
It's, if you go, if you look around my bike, you're going to find a bundle of zip ties somewhere that are all mucky and dirty because they've been on there for a long time and I'm constantly pulling them out to use them all around the bike. So I'd say that's a very simple, inexpensive, number one thing to do to hold things together. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you about the zip ties. All right. First of all, zip ties are, are very durable. They're incredibly durable nowadays and, they, and there's really large ones, but there's also stainless steel ones. Yeah. And I've seen it like, and they're stainless steel and they're like reusable. Um, which is great. Yeah. I haven't gotten that far because I, I just can't, you know, it's, it's weird where your sort of bargain hunter thing comes in, you know, like, you know, I, I see those ones on, at the store and they're like, oh man, those are really durable. Oh man, I'm not spending that much money on a zip tie. <laughs> and uh, even though it would probably be the best thing to do, but you just can't argue with, you know, going to Costco and they've got, you know, 7,000 of them in, in a bin for $19, you know, in all different sizes. Like, oh, that That's for me. That's that, that satisfies my bargain hunter instinct. And I'm going to use every right. single one of those as best as I can. Oh, I see. It has all different sizes. So you've sort of got a, a, a real cross section to choose from. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you could probably get away with just one size, but you know, how cool, that's not cool. Like why not, <laughs> why not analyze the situation and come up with the right color and quantity and Absolutely. style? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the metal ones are great for doing stuff. Anything to do with anything hot, obviously, um, when you get anywhere hot and, and you have to put something on with that. But give me some examples of where, like, cause the thing is, I'm not a big zip tie person. Um, I understand mm. the usefulness. I have a lot of them. I've got some really nice heavy duty nylon ones uh, and I've got some stainless steel ones as well. But uh, sure. I tend to be more of a rope person because I can, I can tie mm-hmm. tighter and better with, I can do better things with a rope than I can with zip ties. But mm-hmm. give me an example. Where has a zip tie saved your bacon? Well, a lot of times when I'm, um, you know, with uh, riders that are going off road, maybe for the first time and they're sort of still learning their, the, the craft and, and maybe they've got a bike that they're having trouble with, uh, for example, like they're, they're not used to standing up on the bike. They don't know how to use the rear brake because it's set up in such a way, the pedal that's too hard for them to reach, you know, and like it's, um, so w- one of the first things I might do with somebody like that is, is take out the little rubber inserts on their foot pegs, um, so that they're not as slippery and that the rider sits a little lower. And I, in the past, I've taken that same little rubber piece and put it on top of the brake pedal itself and then put a zip tie or two around it to hold it in place and just ex- instruct them. Like when you're standing up, it's going to be really difficult to touch your brake pedal because you have to reach so far. So this will help space fill that space. And you just have to be uh-huh. mindful when you get on the asphalt to move your foot out a little bit. So you're not touching your brake the whole time you're riding. Very you nice. know, that, that might just be a, you know, a practical, but you know, um, another example might be, you know, something getting rattled free on the bike, um, that, uh, um, can be, you know, put back together at least temporarily with zip ties. You know, I've had like shifter linkage, for example, come apart and, you know, I, you know, they've lost the screw that I need to put it back together and found a way to fashion zip ties together to limp it into town so I can get what I need. You know, there's just the uses are, are plentiful. Hmm. Have you ever repaired a tire with a zip tie? <laughs> um, Probably. <laughs> I, it's been, there's been so many tire repairs. You know, when I was running one of my tours in South America, it was an 11 day tour. We had 10 flats and nine of them were on tube tires. And by, you know, day three, I'd run out of spare tubes and I was having to repair tires any way I could using any method I could. And, and, uh, I'm sure I can't remember exactly, but I'm sure zip ties were involved. And I know I, I made a promise to myself that I would burn any bike that had tubes from that point on and, <laughs> and convince all manufacturers to go tubeless. <laughs> you prefer tubeless then. 
yeah, any chance I can, you know, I can see the advantages of tubes for sure. But man, when you get a flat and if you have the level of proficiency at tire, uh, fixing tires that I have, which is not very good, um, then, it, you know, you can pretty much burn an hour every time you have to do it. And, and that's, you know, and it's never at the right time of day either. It's always extremely hot or sunset or dusty or loud. You know, it never happens in front of a Starbucks. Yeah. I always say it happens on Sunday afternoon, just as the sun's going down. That's where it ends up for me. <laughs> exactly. It's 27 degrees out. You mm-hmm. deal with it. <laughs> so, um, so uh, you've got your rope and pulley system. Um, yep. Well, you, you started from the top. You started from the top. Zip ties. I'm curious. Ties, so what's yeah. next? Um, so a, a toolkit and, and a, what's really important I found is a model specific toolkit. You know, you need one that is designed for your bike that can contend with the issues that you're going to have. And most of the time, the issues that I use the toolkit for are very simple. You know, I have to tighten down a mirror or adjust my handlebars or, you know, um, you know, a blinker gets knocked out of whack because I dropped the bike and, you know, that just little things like that, that I have to fix. But sometimes it's, it's a little more involved, you know, I might have to dig a little deeper and, and knowing that I've got the right tools to, you know, for example, if I hydro lock the bike, you know, and I have to take the spark plugs out and, and do that repair that I've got that, you know, a toolkit that has what I need in order to pull that off. And that's really important. Mm, yeah. That's a, we had cruise tools on uh, a while back as well. Really nice toolkits. Oh, yeah. They make a um, vehicle specific toolkits, yeah. which is pretty neat. You know, you, you can buy that, that kit already to go in. And I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a basic kit that gives you the things that you need for your particular bike. Yeah. Do you uh, practice with your toolkit? I do. I, I try to make it a point to anytime I'm doing work on my bike from home, um, even though I have a pretty extensive home toolkit, I try to use my portable kit with me so that I just get accustomed to using it. And I make sure that if there's anything that I don't have in there that I might need that I add to the kit, which I have done over time. And it's just simple stuff, you know, like, you know, electrical tape and, um, you know, a tool to cut zip ties because I use so many of them, you know, to do it properly, you know, that silly little things like that. Um, and, uh, I'd like to tell you a little backstory on this toolkit because I think it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd like to hear it. So, you know, I used to sell motorcycles. Um, that, that's kind of my entry into BMW was selling bikes at a dealership. And I had a guy that came in that had just bought a brand new GS and three days later he shows up and he hands me the keys. And I, I said, uh, what are you doing? Don't, don't you like it? He goes, well, I love it. But my wife, um, was not told about this purchase. and she is now extremely upset with me. And I think that in order to maintain my happy marriage, I need to, uh, I need to sell this bike back to you. Like, oh man, well, you know, it, it, this is kind of a rough situation because it's not a new bike anymore. You know, I can't just hand you your check back. And he goes, oh, how much am I going to lose? I go, it's, it's going to hurt. Uh, I go, look, I, I've seen this before. Can, can I, if I can give you some advice, just take it home, give it a week, shook it over it. And, you know, you have to sleep on the couch. You know, that's where the TV is. It's, it's not such a bad thing, you know, and maybe it'll work out. And if it not in a week, you know, you're not going to lose any more money by waiting. And so he goes, okay. So he left and I didn't see the guy for months. It was like six months. And one day he comes sauntering into the dealer and I go, Hey, whatever happened? I thought you were like dead. You know, <laughs> what happened between you and your wife? He goes, ah, you know, I started a business making parts and accessories for motorcycles. And now this is a write-off and my wife's happy because I've um, created this business from it. And that is how the company called Adventure Designs got started. 
Really? This guy, Chad, bought a bike and he started making stuff him with his brother. And and now he makes the toolkit that I use, the ADV Designs kit. It's really, a really, really good kit. You know, it's right up there with Cruise Tools for sure. It's good stuff. Wow. And that all came from you. For, had he not, had, you, had he met a different salesman, took the loss, went back home, he could be, I don't know, roller skating now? <laughs> it could be. I'm sure he'd be damn good at it. At least half as good as he is at making parts and accessories. And and what's funny is there's other stories from that guy and his brother where, you know, my, my brother and I were interacting with them at some epiphany moment where they decided to make something that has now become a very popular item for them. And it's very interesting. You know, our community is so small and, you know, is very quickly get to know all the people that are a part of it and their personal stories. It's all good stuff. Wow. That's very neat. Hey, this, 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 um, toolkit that you carry with you, maybe you could give me a list and we could post it in the show notes of what is exactly in that toolkit. Oh yeah. I'd be happy to, okay. and, and you know, basically what happens and you know, with any good manufacturer I found is, you know, you, uh, you call them and say, this is the model or, you know, go online and say, this is the make model, your make model of my bike. And, you know, what kit do you recommend? And oftentimes they've got the kit that's specific to that because little things change here and there, even within a bike that, you know, apparently on the outward lead is the same, you know, they change model year to model year. So um, having the kit that, you know, you know, has everything it needs and, uh, and learning how to use is really, really important, but uh, yeah, I'd be happy. I'll send over a list for you. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes. And, and as you said, using that kit at home to do your maintenance or whatever teaches you not only how to use the tools and how they work and how good they are, but it also lets you know that you have exactly what you need to do something. I mean, to get out there on the trail somewhere and have a problem and find out that you don't have the, I don't know, the, the wrench that fits the nut on your front axle. That's a problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I had a guy uh, hydrolock his bike on a tour in the middle of nowhere. And I had all the tools I needed, except the, they, for that year, they had changed something about the bike and the deep well socket that I had wasn't the right fit mm. anymore for the spark plug. And I had remembered that the company that I'd bought my kit for had told me about that and had sent me the deep well socket and it was sitting on my desk at home. Wow. I'd never put it in my kit. So I had to come up with some way to sort of feng shui that, uh, that spark plug out so I could fix the bike and get the guy moving again. That's neat. That's the kind of stuff I love. I think that's great. <laughs> so, it's great the moment you realize you can fix it. It's terrible up until that moment. <laughs> yeah. Once it's yeah. done, you sort of look back and go, yeah, all right. That's fantastic. Maybe you get more pleasure <laughs> than anyone else does out of it, but there's something in that. Yeah, absolutely. So what's after the toolkit? Uh, that would definitely be a tire repair kit mm. is next. And, um, and I have um, a, a tire compressor and a a multi-model repair kit, all from Best Rest products. And it's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of manufacturers that make um, now like compressors and, and they're great and I don't have any issue, but the the problem I've run into is that the, the kit that I carry just gets the heck beat out of it because it's bounced around on my side cases and they get wet and it gets dirty and it gets grimy. And I have had them break, you know, that um, compressors are actually very simple. And if you if you know your way around them, you can take apart and usually you can fix them if there's an issue, but, but I don't want to deal with that. I want to be able to take the thing out, you know, have it be dirty and grimy and plug it in and have it work and then put it away, you know, wet. And, uh, and for me, the, um, cycle pump, the best rest is the way to go. 
Yeah. And yeah. we, we, of course, he, best rest is, is a, of course a sponsor for adventure rider radio. Um, but the products are amazing. Like he, he does yeah. such a great job and, and I have a cycle pump as well. I have beat the thing to death, not so much from using it. I've used it lots, but from landing on it, the bike falling oh, over, <laughs> of course, this, Sean, this is not when I was riding it. Like this is somebody else riding it, but <laughs> it, is, sure. it has crushed it so many times and I've straightened it up. The thing still works like a charm. They're just amazing. I, you know, I, I call, I, uh, emailed Mr. Best Rest once and I said, Hey, I have a story for you. I use your kit, your tire repair kit. And I think what is the highest altitude of anybody in your, um, set of customers that ever used it is really tell me the story. I said, well, I was, I was in the mountains, um, going, um, from Argentina to Chile. I was at 18,000 feet and I came upon a flat, a guy had on a trailer and I pulled out my kit and I, I patched the hole and I filled it up way up there. And he goes, he goes, okay, well, write a little story about it. Send me some photos and, and I'll put it in my newsletter. And, uh, and I said, I said, okay. So I, I wrote a story and I sent it to him and I called a couple of days later and I said, Hey, is that, is that sufficient? And, and if, if anybody's ever met Mr. Best Rest, he's, he's a, has an incredibly dry sense of humor. And he, he told me, he goes, yeah, I got your letter. He goes, you know, I have to, I have to rewrite it to sort of a you know, to sort of compensate for your grammatical ineptitude. You know, I have a very high quality of, of clientele and they need to, you know, they need to be dazzled with, you know, literary goodness. So I went ahead and fixed it <laughs> and then we, we sort of laugh and, and I, um, uh, he, you know, I forgot all about it and then he posted it and I let any had literally rewritten my story. Like I had, I didn't even recognize it. It was completely different. And I, go, I called him like, dude, you actually rewrote. He goes, yeah, I just thought you'd think that was funny. <laughs> Okay. Enough of the free ad for David uh, at Best Dress. I'm going to have to send him a bill for this. (laughs) So, um, so what's after that? What's after you? You you said that on the list, that's the compressor and your retire repair kit, right? Yeah. So, you know, that consists of the actual compressor, um, the actual kit to, you know, um, plug the hole and the, uh, the, tire pressure gauge, you know, so I can make sure I'm putting the right level of pressure back in. And, uh, you know, of course that is also helpful. You know, if you're doing really aggressive off-road and you've really aired down your tires, you get back to asphalt, you know, you can pull over the side of the road and use the kit to top things off. And, and that's probably what I use it for the most, mm-hmm. um, you know, tire, you know, flats of course happen. You know, the biggest issue I run in with flat tires is that, you know, you get a flat and you get the bike up um, in a position where you can find the flat, you find it and you repair it only to realize that you fixed the wrong yeah. problem. You know, like, you, you know, there's, there was a nail in there. Yes, but it wasn't penetrating deeply enough to cause the issue. And if you just kept rotating the tire, you would have found the real issue. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's worse with the tube. When you, you go through all the oh. work to repair the tube, you put it all back together and five minutes down the road, it's going flat again. It's like, oh. <sighs> The worst. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, that's especially an issue I find when you, people tend to run with really low pressures, if they're riding off road because the tire is already really hot. And when you get a flat, it takes very few rotations before you start causing more damage with the rims and the tire gets really hot, really fast. And suddenly you've got, you know, a bunch of uh, steel belts poking in all different directions and you got to try to get in there and fix them all. And it's just such a pain. Right. Okay. So what are you using next? What's, what's after the tire repair kit? So that's my primary carry. You know, that we, I know that we talked about the nav system, the satellite communicator as being something that's sort of, you know, for, um, you know, major issues, but, but that 
you know, anytime I get on a bike, no matter where I'm going, at the very least, I have everything I've mentioned, plus a satellite navigation system and a med kit. And those are always with me. And then beyond that, you know, not accounting for food and snacks and, you know, clothing to keep you, you know, dealing with the elements. I don't get into the next set of tools until I'm, you know, I'm, I'm using those based on where I'm going and how far away from civilization I'm going to be. So you mean, you mean if you're going to something more remote, then you're going to add to this? Yeah. So if, if I'm going on a ride where I know that I'm always going to be skirting around town, I'm always going to have relatively easy access to assistance. You know, if I need it, then this is typically all I carry. And then I get into, um, you know, I have what I call my secondary carry kit, which is the things I carry when I know I'm going to be getting way into the back country and, and I'm going to have to be more self-sufficient. I don't have to be otherwise, because you know, it's not always easy to carry this stuff for a day ride. Right. And, and that goes back to what you were saying right at the start was um, understanding like your, your pre-trip stuff, understanding what you're doing, where you're going, how long you're going to be, those sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. You know, if I'm just taking a day ride out to go see where all the other riders are and doing my thing, then I don't feel like I need to carry extra tubes, you know, right. for example. And, you know, tubes are important when you're in the backcountry, even if you have tubeless wheels, because it's possible that you'll have to utilize those if you get a flat that's bad enough, you know, for example. But but I'm not going to carry those if I'm just cruising around town for a day or two. Yeah, but you will carry patches to repair it and with your with your tire repair kit. Yeah, I'll carry the, you know, if, if it doesn't require me to take the wheel off, um, then chances are I'll have the tools to make the fix, you know, so. Um, you know, once I have to really start digging deep into the bike and, and doing major repairs, then that's a whole nother set of tools and weight that just sort of sit on the side and wait until I'm going to go crazy in the backcountry. Or, or if I'm leading a tour where I know I'm going to have, you know, 15 people with me that I have to deal with all the things that come with their bikes, then I'm definitely carrying extra stuff. And then that's going to be um, things like, um, you know, like the rope and pulley system that I mentioned, you know, an axe hammer, you know, that uh, I can use to you know, more often than not, I'm using something like that to beat a rim back into shape after it's been turned into a stop sign because somebody's hit it, you know, mm. that sort of thing. And uh, a toe strap. Yeah. A toe strap, you know, anytime I'm riding it, you know, toe straps are small and they're easy to carry. And if I'm riding with anybody else, I, I tend to bring one along with me. Um, so that in the inevitable, you know, run out of gas, if somebody's going to have a problem, that's going to usually be why. And then that usually also comes with a quick lesson on how to use peg to peg towing effectively, you know, cause that's typically what it requires is, you know, um, teaching them how to, you know, put weight on the peg under the strap so that they can hold it. And, and in, if any issues come up, they can lift up their foot and we can be disconnected and, you know, mm -hmm. relatively safe. Yeah. We actually did an episode on peg to peg towing, uh, on towing a motorcycle again. Uh, uh, maybe, I, maybe I should throw a link into that, uh, to that episode into the show notes for this as well. I'll do that for the towing thing, because that, that is something that you, again, like, I guess with everything really, you got to practice it before you go to, to go out and, and think, okay, well, I'm going to pull this, <laughs> I'm going to pull this rope and pulley system out and use it without knowing how it could really land you in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, there's different ways to use that sort of thing too. Like you can't use a tow strap um, like that effectively when you're in really varied terrain, you know, it might require that you actually have to tie to the bike, which is really dangerous. You know, you don't want to be connected to somebody if you can help it, but sometimes that's the only way to get a bike out and knowing the various ways to do it is, is absolutely key. Anything else? Um, jumper cables, you carry a small set of those, you know, um, when, uh, especially with these new keyless ride bikes, um, you know, a lot of times people hide the key on the bike and they forget to 
power it down. You know, they walk away to go grab a sandwich and they come back and the battery's dead. So having the ability to get a bike started again easily um, is really important. Um, things like, uh, you know, additional tire repair goodies, you know, like a, like tubes, like I mentioned, a tire seating strap, um, things like for major field damage repairs. If somebody crashes hard enough to bust a hole in the side of the bike, um, you know, having the tools available to patch that hole and clean it out and, uh, and get somebody up and running again becomes really important. Like JB Weld or something like that. Yeah. Like JB Weld. And, and, uh, you know, also making sure that you know that the JB Weld you've got has a set time of less than 24 hours. I've made that mistake before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> set a hole and I go, well, this isn't drying. And if I read it and go, oh, geez, it's got to sit here all night before it's hard enough to function. Where I want the stuff that's 15 minutes and it's done. Do you carry, and it would come in handy for this situation where you've got your JB Weld and find out it's 24 hours. Do you carry in any sort of emergency food with you? Is that part of your, your toolkit almost? Yeah, absolutely. And and the only reason I didn't, you know, put it on the list right away is because, you know, we'd sort of mentioned that, you know, opening the can of worms of food and gear is, yeah. um, you know, but, but I always carry snacks, you know, something that's, uh, has a, uh, a lot of, uh, calories, you know, it's, it doesn't, has a low perishability, you know, like, a you know, those very inexpensive packs of tuna, for example, that carry really, really well on the bike and they're easy to eat. Some of them even come with a spoon. Now you can scoop them up and eat them and, and little packs of, uh, things like, uh, you know, peanut butter and things like that, that I can just snack on as I go. Um, and, and those are, you know, I've got them in pockets and on the bike all over the place. So I can pull them out. I usually become the food center for people as a consequence, you know, cause they know I've got that stuff and they want some of it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I sort of consider that part of my first aid kit in, in a way because mm -hmm. I do the same thing as you. I, I carry it all the time because um, it just seems that it's very handy. I mean, there's there's nothing more satisfying than working on something and, and not being starving, you know, having had a little yeah. snack. And and of course, for, for survival, obviously, if you're, if you're stuck out there, if you, something happens, you're stuck there for, I don't know, hours or a day, it, it can make a difference. Yeah, and you know, just being able to step away from a problem and putting some food in your mouth and contemplating, you know, there's just so many problems that get solved from that. And, you know, trying to not be in a hurry to fix the problem as quickly as possible is, becomes really important, I think. Mm, that's a very, very good point. And same as doing your, your best repair first. Ah, confidence building. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, I think if you do your best one first, it's like, you know, if you can um, get a win under your belt... <laughs> <laughs> when, you get, when you get to the more challenging stuff, it's like, okay, well, I've already got this train rolling. I'm doing okay. Let's keep moving. Well, I think this started for me way back uh, when I was young. You'd get stuck. And the way to get out was, you know, if you didn't do your best job the first time, you're likely going to make things worse is what mm. often I find. So that's why I was thinking it's probably best to, to do your best repair first. And, uh, mm. and you have a much better chance rather than doing something and having it break and cause something else to break. And then you're sort of further down the road. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's no repair that I've ever done that I look back on now and have anything but satisfaction in my mind. You know, I go, oh, that was great. I got, had a problem. I solved it and I got out. But every single time it actually happens and I'm in the moment, I'm really nervous about it. I go, oh, this may be the one time when I can't solve the problem. Right. Maybe this is the one time where I make it worse rather than better. And I think that every single time. And I always look back on it fondly and, and, as much as I try to tell myself in the moment, I know this is going to turn out okay. I'm going to be all right. You know, there's always that um, voice in the back of my head going, well, maybe it won't this time. Maybe this is the time that you, you know, you bite off more than you can chew. And 
And I think um, doing the your best work first, you know, and doing something that inspires a little confidence that helps get you over the speed bump of the problem is very helpful. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Hey, have you ever had a, a situation where you've had to leave the bike and walk out? Yeah. Um, you know, leading tours, I've definitely run into issues where typically it's, it's a ride, not me hasn't happened so much, but, but with other riders where, you know, they've pushed their skill or the bike beyond their abilities and, and it, they render themselves or the bike unrideable. Um, and, and in those instances, you know, I've had to use any manner of a way to, to get them out, you know, for the least of which is, is, you know, putting them in a chase vehicle, if I have one or putting them on the back of my bike or, you know, four times in my career now, I've had to call a helicopter to have somebody hauled out of the middle of nowhere in order to, um, that gets expensive. Yeah, it, it does. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, all the different ways that you may have to run into that, but it, but it does happen, you know, um, you know, a big one is, um, you know, and one of the lessons that I teach riding is, is clutch control. Cause I, I've, especially now I see so often that people improperly use their clutches and they blow them out in the middle of nowhere. And there is just no making that bike run again once that's happened, you know? And so there, you have no choice, but to either tow the bike out or find a trailer for it and, and give them a ride on the back of your bike or in a car. Mm-hmm. Hey, where do you store all this stuff? So, um, I have soft cases and hard cases that, um, that are, I'll use one or the other, and it depends on what I'm doing. Um, if I'm, if I'm carrying one of my kids on the back, I always have hard side cases because I use them as sacrificial armor. So if, if for some reason I tip over with them on the back, the case will take the brunt and, and that does happen sometimes, you know? Um, and the thing I don't like about hard cases is that when you have tools like that in there, there just seems to be no way to secure them enough to keep them from turning into a tumble dryer in there. So I'll keep them in my case. You know, of course, I try to pack them in such a way to where they're well balanced. And it just happens to be that my primary toolkit and my secondary toolkit, they they weigh more or less the same. So I can keep one in one case and one in the other. And I know that they're, you know, where they generally are and keep them as low in the bag as I can. So the center of gravity isn't an issue. Um, and if I can, and it's realistic, you know, I might keep things mounted to the bike, you know, aside from zip ties, you know, I find that having an ax hammer and some rope, you know, attached to the frame of the bike with zip ties is a very effective way to do it. It all sort of disappears into the bike. You don't even really notice that it's there. And the people that do notice just think it's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) And it really is, you know, riding around with an ax hammer on your bike is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. What would describe the ax hammer? So we, we had an issue where, um, there's, there's a section of road we used to do on this tour when I worked for Rawhide and, and it was really, really rocky and, and people, um, if, if you didn't take sufficient breaks, they would start to get this tunnel vision and they would just run their bikes into these boulders. And I, and I kept having trouble with people bending rims to the point where they couldn't hold air anymore. And so what we would have to do is lay the bike on its side. And we literally used a, uh, like a handheld stone to beat the rim back into shape enough to hold air. And, and from that, I took the lesson that, um, that I needed to, um, carry something that I could use more effectively. So I got an ax hammer. So I'd have something that, you know, if an issue like that kind of happened again, that I'd be able to beat up a rim. And, you know, the problem with doing that is that once you hit a rim with a hammer, it, it goes from, you know, the, maybe it was repairable before then, but it's certainly not once I'm done beating on it. <laughs> so, you know, it often means I got to turn to the owner of the bike and go, Hey, look, we got to have a serious talk here because the only way for me to render your bike rideable right now is to 
probably destroy your rim. Like I can't guarantee it would be fixable if I didn't do anything, but it certainly won't once I beat it up with a hammer. So you have to decide whether that's okay with you. <laughs> Which always is, is a fairly easy decision to make usually in the moment, but afterwards when you find out the price of the rim. Yeah. It's $1,500. Yeah. You know, but, but on the other money. hand, maybe you could fix it anyway, you know, so, so what are you going to do? Um, so I, I got it for that. And then it turns out that I've used it for, you know, all sorts of things. I love that the, the hammers now have that little magnesium piece that you can pull out of the, the handle, you know, and use it to spark a fire, you know, which I'm not usually making natural fires, but I do uh, make fires with like a jet pool and whatnot. And, and, and sometimes my cookware doesn't light up the way it's supposed to. So having the ability to spark something easily is really helpful. Hmm. Anything else you're carrying? There's probably a lot of stuff. <laughs> there, there's definitely, you know, this isn't touching at all on carrying all weather gear and the ability to stay warm or cold when you need to. But, you know, like you said, that's another story and that you could, you, you, there could be a, a whole session just on that. It sounds like there already has been. Yeah, it is really important though, isn't it? I, I mean, you know, it's one of the mistakes that can, that's easy to make. For instance, you, you ride out, you mentioned, you know, look outside and it's sunny and warm and then you ride into the mountains, you know, altitude changes temperature and, and it's easy to be unprepared, particularly if it's something you don't do all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the knowing, you know, if you're going to a place that is, that is uh, susceptible and to weather changes it happens all the time. It's a, it's a big difference versus a place that's really seasonal. You know, like when I ride in Colorado, you know, it rains there every day at four o'clock and, and for the most part, the, the roads are sort of accustomed to it. You know, the, um, it's a very porous earth and it, it soaks it up really quickly and it doesn't really affect my riding. But you know, when I'm riding on a similar road in California, it doesn't rain that often. So when it does, the road so suddenly turns to snot and I have to be able to contend with that, you know, so uh, understanding, you know, the kind of roads you're going to be on and what you may face and, and the kind of, you know, if you're riding in mud, you're probably going to fall, you know, do you have what it takes to do any repairs that are going to come from that? Are you going to be able to get out? You know, how, you know, like, you know, that, that might be one of the situations where we say, you know, that renders the bike unrideable, not because the bike is damaged, but because you just can't get any forward movement in the muck. So what do you do? Right. Now, um, you mentioned tires. I, I can't resist asking you, um, what tires do you run? Are you running knobbies all the time? <laughs> so I had a, um, you know, one of the issues that I contend with is that um, when things are moving um, and flowing for me business-wise, it's very common for me to be flown into another country or another state or some other part of the world and given a bike to ride and having zero say on how it's set up. Mm -hmm. They just give me a bike. Here you go. And the tires are the tires. They, they come with what they come with. And that has meant that I've ridden all types of tires. And basically what I came away with after really giving it a lot of thought was that I tend to not really care what the tires are. Um, that's not to say that I want to run racing slicks. You know, when I'm riding off road, I want some reasonable tread wear. But that being said, I don't, I'm not married to any manufacturer anymore. I used to be. Um, now I just, you know, and, and a lot of that comes down to the tech on the bike too. You know, the tech is so good on bikes that it compensates for a lot of issues you might have with tires. Um, and I've been, I've been giving this a lot of thought and, and the one area that I feel like that might be the exception is when I ride, um, at the track, you know, I've been taking the GS to the track and, and it's occurred to me as I'm out there pushing the bike really, really hard on the, basically what the bike came with, you know, the factory, um, provided tires is that. This is one of those places where it's really, really important to have an exceptional tire because 
Um, you know, when a tire like this gets too hot, there's no feedback. It's just you're riding, everything's fine. And then suddenly there's no grip where when you have a, a tire that's designed for that, you, you start to get that sort of grip limit feedback where you, the bike starts telling you like, Hey, if you keep pushing it, you're going to, you're going to lose traction. So you got to be ready for it. So if for, for everyday riding, if it's black and it's round and it holds air, that's usually enough for me. Well, that's good. <laughs> you're easy to please. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else? I'm, I'm thinking personal comfort here that you would consider essential. Like, like, do you always carry visor cleaner or ear protection? And, and I, I know I sort of said at the start, you know, that, that we were, we, we'd agreed we weren't going to talk about, um, you know, your riding suit, et cetera. But I'm, I'm thinking these things aren't really things that are, are thought about necessarily all the time. Yeah. I think that, um, 100% of the time, if I get on a bike and I'm going to ride more than a couple miles, I have ear protection. And that comes for me in the form of noise canceling earbuds, which are not designed for motorcycles. Um, they're designed for like, you know, when you're sitting on an airplane and there's the drone of, you know, wind noise at 30,000 feet, th those kind of earbuds. Mm -hmm. But I have found that they work inside my helmet and they don't work for everybody. But for me, I'm able to fit them. They're kind of big, but they fit inside my helmet. And that is just absolutely key. I have to have that when I ride. Um, because it protects my hearing and it gives me the opportunity to listen to things while I ride. Because a lot of times when I'm riding, I get, I get bored because it, you know, if I'm leading a tour, I'm going the speeds that you lead tour groups on and I'm riding roads that I've ridden a thousand times before. It's like, I've done all this. I need something else to entertain me. So I, the noise canceling earbuds cut out all the noise and then it allows me to, uh, to plug in and listen to right now that my fad is books. You know, I put on audiobooks and just listen to them while I ride. And that is just, I, I'm bored out of my mind if I don't have that. Anything else in there? Um, I think that, uh, you know, having a communication system has become really important to me. Um, and, and it's something I have on all of my helmets. You know, I always have a comm system. So um, the idea being is that if I'm able to talk to somebody I'm riding with while we're riding and just have nice conversations, the kind of talks that you'd have over a drink, you know, at a, at wherever, what have you, you know, that is very calming to me. And I find that if I'm able to have that talk, I'm comfortable with going whatever speed the people I'm riding with are comfortable going at. And most people I ride with, um, haven't been riding for a long time and they're not, you know, they're not speed demons or anything like that. And they're always really nervous about ensuring that I have a good time too. And so I tell them like, Hey, as long as we can have a nice talk, it doesn't, it can be casual. You know, I, I'm fine with whatever speed you want to go. Um, but the, the second that you were not, able to talk or the comms don't work or you're not interested in that or whatever. And that's all fine. It's just, then I want to supplement, you know, that entertainment with the entertainment of going fast. <laughs> now so I'm going to go find a sport bike guy and chase him down. Yeah. You know? <laughs> when you're talking to comms now, is that, pl is that plugged into those earbuds that you're talking about or? or yeah, that's different? exactly right. Oh, okay. So all, it's all integrated together. And, um, you know, the, the great thing about it is because it's so quiet that, I mean, even if somebody calls me, through my calm. And I, you know, if my wife calls, for example, to talk about dinner, uh, I can be going 70 miles an hour and, and it sounds clear as day to her and to me Yeah, where, you know, usually with calm systems, you know, the, the sound quality is, is, um, bumpy at best. I mean, you've probably experienced that too. It's really difficult to get good sound inside a helmet. Yeah, it is. Um, but the earbuds are, are key because the, if you use the speakers in the, in the earpieces of, of your helmet, which you should only be doing for low speed, because obviously high speed, you, you chance ear damage just from the wind noise. Yeah. But, um, the, the, I, I really like the, the in-ear version because it, it just makes everything so crystal clear. Just exactly like what you're saying. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, anything else that we've missed? Probably a lot. 
Um, <laughs> if I went down and stared at my toolkit, I'd be like, oh, head smack. I should have mentioned this, but, but, you know, off the top of my head, this is where these are the goods. Okay. Well, that's great, Sean. I, I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much for your help. And uh, I wish you the best of luck with your new class C RV on your route this year. Thanks, Jim. My pleasure. Thanks to everybody. That was Sean Thomas from his home in Monterey Bay in California, where he's getting ready to hit the road for a big tour around the U.S. And by the way, you, you heard him say that if you'd like him to stop at your at a dealership near you for a presentation, instructional, drop him a note on social media, as well as to your dealer. His website is stromoto.com. We've got that link in the show notes, of course, on our uh, website for this episode. We also have a list that he gave us for the ADV essential gear that he carries in the show notes for the website. So that's kind of worthwhile going and just to copy and paste it into something and print it off for yourself and, and massage it into something that works for you. All that available at adventureriderradio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. And special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you for listening to the show. Now, if you enjoy what we're doing here at Adventure Rider Radio, you can do us a favor. Please go to Apple Podcasts and, and give us a five-star rating. Matter of fact, everywhere you find podcasts, pop in, give us a rating. It helps other people find the show. And if you know somebody who might like what you've heard today, we'd appreciate it if you just share the episode with them. And wait, one more thing. Adventure Rider Radio is built on a model of some advertising and then listener support. Now, you can support with any amount. Anything $10 or more gets you an Adventure Rider Radio sticker for your pannier, your toolbox. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout-out on our Raw show. That's our other show that comes out monthly. Separate subscription you have to do for that, so just go and subscribe separately where you get podcasts. But we would appreciate it greatly if you just drop by our website and have a look at um, our patron account. Consider becoming a patron supporter because we need you as a patron supporter. All at adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. All the information's there. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 